0: Welcome to the Geek Speak last week bonus episode. This is the Intake. Welcome everybody to another special episode of the Intake. Uh, I've got a great guest for us this afternoon this evening or this morning whenever you're listening um i fell down a rabbit hole a little while back watching videos on toy culture and uh just my past and uh this gentleman scott neatlich of am i pronouncing that right scott oh yeah no it's a tough one so it's it think of it as two words night lick scott night i that sounds better anyway. <laughs>
1: That's how I know if it's a telemarketer on the phone.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, Scott's got uh, a great uh, set of videos on uh, YouTube, but he's also got a lot more going on for him. And I thought it'd be great to interview him and see what he's got to say about um, some He-Man stuff and some toy industry stuff, because he's had his hands in both for quite a bit now. So um, Scott, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself?
1: Sure, sure. And I want to thank you for having me on. It's so great to. Uh, it's an honor to be invited. And I, you know, I I don't get to talk toys around the house that much. Uh, you know, I'm usually talking just into a microphone. So it's so nice to to converse with a fellow fan and chat. Uh, so thank you.
0: No, it's, uh, it's 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 my pleasure. I mean, seriously. When once we get past this, you'll see exactly how much I'm I I appreciate you being here. <laughs> well.
1: Awesome all around. So, yeah, so to introduce myself, uh, so my name is Scott Knightlick, uh, aka Toy Guru. That was a screen name I created just so people knew who I was because, you know, no one uses their real name. Um, I've been in the toy industry for about 20 years. Uh, I spent 10 of that at Mattel and then 10 of that at some smaller companies like Jack's, uh Jada Toys, Entertainment Earth. I was at Loot Crate for a little while. And now I have my own toy company, Uh, Spectre Creative, where I both consult for companies, uh, toy companies, and entrepreneurs who want to develop toy product, and I help them with branding, content development, product development, placement, and uh, I'll actually be launching my own toy line uh, probably mid-next year at Target, which we're, we're already sold in with them, so very excited about that and uh the best is yet to come so yay toys well oh and i'm a lifetime collector that's i think the big thing
0: (laughs) and that's definitely be a big part of it congratulations on the on your own toy line thing i didn't know it was like becoming like that like i didn't realize it had gotten to that that point or before i what what are you Are you at liberty to say what kind of thing? Like, are you doing your own line of things, or is it like licensed stuff that you're doing your own figures and stuff for?
1: Uh, well, it's not figures, I will tell you that it's not an action figure line. Um, it's a line that, like a lot of the stuff I've worked on, meets, uh, shall we say, an unmet need in the marketplace. And, uh, my you know, I have other partners I'm working with, it's not just me, but I'm teamed up with some very, very Smart individuals in different disciplines, and uh, we're really hoping to make a very positive mark in the toy industry and make product available for some uh, some people who need toys. And we're excited about that. So there will be more details to come. But it's it's not an it's not action figures, which I okay you know I know a lot of people might expect from me. I'll probably get to that eventually because I do have some ideas for some action figure lines. But we're doing something else first.
0: Well, I keep, I'll keep my eye out. Cause I'm always interested in seeing what people are doing. Cause uh, I mean, as I said, like toys in general, they're just, it was just such a big part of my childhood. So like, uh, it's, it's the, like, all right. All right. Got to get into this thing. So he's, so you, you said you were in, uh, you worked for Mattel for like 10 years and I've watched your videos. So I, I know what you, what you've, accomplished there, what you put in there, what you helped create there. Um, but le- let some of the listeners know, like, what did what did you do at Mattel exactly? Like, cause you when I first read heard that in a video, like my eyes lit up. Like like eight-year-old me was like, oh my God, that's dream. That's like a dream come true to to work for Mattel and and then work on stuff from my childhood that would literally have been a dream come true.
1: And, you know, I I can absolutely be humble and say I feel so blessed, so lucky to have gotten to do what I did. Um, It was definitely a lot of, you know, blood, sweat and tears, um, a little luck, a lot of work. Um, So I started off at Mattel. Well, to rewind, uh, just to give the full picture, uh, my first professional job, I was a a writer in marketing in the pharmaceutical industry. I could tell you more about glaucoma than you ever wanted to know, believe me. And I wasn't expecting so, but the but the skill set that I developed doing this, the ability to navigate all the fine print and the legalese that comes with doing medical advertising, was very transferable to the toy industry in the sense that toys are also highly regulated, safety warnings, small parts warning, licenser logos, et cetera, et cetera. And I was able to get my resume to Mattel, and uh, they were like, oh, like this is really impressive that you you can write, it, you know, meta, you can do like basically fine print legalese writing. So I was brought in as a writer on the Hot Wheels group. I actually <laughs> named all of the basic cars and I wrote the little blurbs on the back of the track sets.
0: <laughs>
1: and I did that for about two years. And then, uh, you know, long story short is I made a pitch to upper management that, Mattel as a company, I felt wasn't doing enough for the adult collector market, since I was also a collector. Uh, And there aren't that many people in the toy industry that are collectors. Um, You know, Ray Adler worked on Hot Wheels, he was one, Um, you know, uh, you know, Super 7 is full of people that are collectors, Brian, etc. But uh, so essentially, I, I Made it, you know, I basically explained, like, look, I'm spending, you know, this much money a month, but none of it's on my own company's product. I'm buying Hasbro or, you know, NECA or whatever. And I made the the case that, that as a company, I thought this was an untapped market. And they said, okay, we'll move you over from the packaging writing group and Hot Wheels over to the action figure marketing group and you could put together a business proposal. So that eventually became what was known as MaddieCollector.com, which was Mattel's direct to consumer or direct to collector website selling essentially kind of figure
0: of the month clubs i remember when that came out i was um i was actually doing um i was writing for a website and i was able to go to about five new york comic cons in a row with a press pass Nice. and the maddie collector booth was always one that i had to hit up I never got to buy anything from it because I was always <laughs> broke, but I was always happy to just marvel over all the different figures that were being created. And I
1: mean, just, you know, I never honestly in my, you know, wildest dreams expected it to explode the way it did and to really, you know, work, but it did. Um, yes. It you is. know, it, it was a team effort. I mean, it was not just me. I mean, it, you know, I was the one who kind of pitched the idea, but we were so blessed to have people like Bill Beneke in design and T.C. Chen in engineering. And of course, the four horsemen who sculpted, uh, you know, so many of the figures and they are so talented and the fans. I mean, it was one of those things where it wouldn't have worked if the fans didn't support it. And, you know, that was it. It was like, you know, every year when I was saying we need the fans to subscribe, it really was that. And it's like, we could only do this if, if we had enough fan, you know, customers buying, since we were bypassing retail, which is the usual customer for, you know, Mattel and Hasbro toy products. So yeah, we, uh, what we did with masters of the universe with the classics line, getting the new castle Skull, getting to finish the vintage line, um, you know, DC justice league, ghostbusters. Yeah, it was, I got the chance. I got amazing opportunities. I got to meet and work with some fantastic talented people in the industry. And uh, I have a whole shelf of He-Man toys to look at every day.
0: That's that is that is that is. I, I wish I still had some of mine, and I wish I could have actually been buying them. I'm planning on grabbing some of the the Origins line now, now that I'm in a position to actually do that. Um, but what do you? What is it? How do you feel about before we actually take a deep dive into what you put into He Man and and what you think of what's going on in uh uh He Man culture right now? Um, what do you think of like the fact that not only is it that He-Man's making its resurgence, but now like Hot Wheels and like Ghostbusters and everything is, is, I know everything's pretty much cyclical, but how does it feel to have things that you actually touched at some point making this like actual resurgence and some of it being very, very good?
1: I mean, it's amazing to see the time we're living in for Masters of the Universe with, there's more He-Man product at market uh, than there's ever been before. I mean, yeah. between uh, Mega Bloks and Origins and Fisher-Price and, and Imagine X and Revelation and the CGI show. Like, we've never had – and and, and there's, there's Hot Wheels and Uno cards. I mean, I, you know, obviously a lot of it has to do with the fact that the clock is ticking on Mattel's ability to do whatever they want with the brand because in 2023, unless things have changed – but to the best of my knowledge, Universal will fully own the property in 2023. Uh, it sounds like they've, they're still going to work with Mattel as a toy partner, as Mattel announced at PowerCon, but it doesn't change the fact that, you know, Universal will get to have a much bigger say in what product gets made. And mm-hmm. I think that's why we're seeing so much, because these are sort of the last few years that Mattel will have, unless I'm wrong. I mean, I could be wrong, but to the best of my knowledge, these are the last few seasons that Mattel will have full say over what toy product they make of the brand without having to have approvals. So, I mean, it's a great time to be a He-Man fan. You've got so much different product out there. Um, was that the, I, I think I'm, I, I want to make sure I was actually answering your question and not just going off on a tangent of how much I love He-Man toys.
0: No that 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 was a, that was an answer. I mean, there's other things. I mean, obviously we've got Ghostbusters Afterlife, um, coming out as well. But I mean, there was a huge run in comics for them, and there was there's the there's a Hot Wheels game that literally just dropped and 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 whatnot. And I'm like, my childhood is has re- resurfaced in just about every form of media possible, and it's it's just great. Yeah, I
1: mean, it, it is, it is. I mean, you're right, but your Ghostbusters and, you know, Star Wars, um, it, it, it's so interesting how it's like the 80s, like climax, the ability to create like new toys and new content, um, you know, in one way, I feel like, well, isn't anyone creating anything new? Part of it is because I think companies, you know, it's a risk making mm-hmm. something new. You have a much bigger chance of it blowing up in your face and and, and not performing. And getting selling uh, producing a toy line and selling it into retail is a very very expensive process. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that they'd be relying on, you know, proven properties, Ghostbusters, etc. But yeah, the fact that you go we walked down the aisle and yeah, you've got Ghostbusters and He-Man toys and Ninja Turtles. Like, you know, in the '80s, you didn't walk down the toy aisle and see you know Davy Crockett and Howdy Doody from no. 30 years ago. So it, it's it's very surreal. I love it. I mean, it's it's just so nice to have so much stuff that's you know
0: reflects what we love. It 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 also kind of speaks to a, uh, the fact that like whether the original product, say you know the original '80s cartoon of He-Man, you know, holds up or not, the product, the 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 world that they created in any shape or form still holds up to this day and people just still will just want more of it and and that's what that's what i really love about it um so you i know you were doing a lot of background work when you were doing the classics um when you were doing the classics line who other than your character which you can speak of as well but like, who did you have a hand in and what did you actually have a hand in in creating? Because there is a lot of lore that I only knew some of and then started watching your videos going, why hasn't anyone tapped into any of this for anything? And then obviously I ended up reading the DC comics as I emailed you before, and they actually did tap into a lot of the stuff that you put in there. Um, so I thought that was rather interesting. Um who, okay, what was your most beloved thing, I should say, that you created there? And what was the scope of creation of your involvement in some certain things? Because I know you said you did a lot of backstory.
1: Sure, sure. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, you were kind of hinting around about Mighty Spectre, the figure that uh, I got a slot in the 2012 30th anniversary line, which was designed to have six brand new characters in the line that had never been seen before. And after, Plan one and plan two fell through, which was to get creators from the 80s who worked on the line to design the new characters. And when I couldn't do that, I was trying to get comic book artists or you know well-known creators, and that fell through. And management was finally like, "Look, stop wasting your time. You do a slot, Terry, the designer, do a slot, the horseman do a slot, and we're like, the line wasn't a big line. You know, it didn't move the stock price. It made all of us happy, but you know, management definitely looked at a lot of it like you know, is the squeeze worth the juice, all the hours you're spending trying to track down comic book artists or, you know, old Mattel employees to do this, just do a figure. Like we don't have to, we got to go work on Hot Wheels. We got to go work on Barbie. You know, we don't have time for this. I'm not literally like that, but I think that's, you know, just kind of a (laughs) framework. It was, you know, Maddie culture was a tiny, tiny line. I mean, I'm honestly, in hindsight surprised that management let it go as long as it did. Um, so as far as you know, sort of the lore that I created, when we launched Classics with six figures, I thought that was all we were going to do was six figures. You know, it was just going to be like a little commemorative thing, kind of like they did at Toys R Us in twenty uh, or in uh, what nineteen ninety nine was it? Uh, yeah, like right before the two thousand X show, they re- reissued some copies of the vintage figures at Toys R Us. Um, you know, and they only, they didn't do every character. They did maybe like 10 or maybe 20, if that. So I thought that's what we were going to do, with six characters. And doing the bios on the back of the package really just came from trying to do something with the real estate. The direction for management was to package the figures just in white boxes and, because it wasn't going to retail. And they didn't see why we needed to design retail-esque packaging for a line that was just, that wasn't going to retail. So I made the whole case about how, well, collectors do display the figures in packaging and the package is part of the experience. So we got permission to make packaging, but we had like no budget. Fortunately, we had the King Grayskull package from Comic-Con from a year before. And we had that green brick pattern that we had designed and spent money on. So we basically repurposed that since we had that file. And, you know, that took care of the front. And then the back, we, you know, we had all this real estate, if you will. So I was like, okay, well, we'll do a cross sell because that's cheap. We can just take pictures of the figures and then we'll just slap a bio on it. And since we only had six figures, I was like, I can just write six bios. No problem. Like it'll be a generic He-Man bio and we're done. But then the line took off and suddenly I realized, oh, we're going to be doing like hundreds of figures if this goes sort of to plan. So I realized I didn't want it to feel like we were making up the bios as we went along. So uh, I basically sat down and over the course of three months wrote something like 300, maybe 400 bios for characters. Not all of them even got used. There's quite a few that haven't. Um, And what I did was I started with any text that was already available. My goal was to make up as little as possible. So, for example, all of the vintage figures had one copy of text on the back of their, uh, the card art. I think He-Man's was something like, He-Man protects attorney along with his friends and allies. So I uh, requisitioned from the archive every vintage figure and copied down the text uh, on, that was on the back, on the, uh, on the art. And that became the last line of every bio. So if you look at like Webster's bio, the last line is that one line of copy. So So basically, my goal was to write a bio that kind of could end with that line. Then the, the only other resource I had that had bios for characters was the 1987 licensor kit, which you can find that online now, but back then it was like a hassle to track down. And it was an official kit put out by Mattel that basically had color guides for the characters for people who wanted to put them on t-shirts or lunch boxes. And then it had like a three sentence bio for every character. And that was basically the most definitive set of bios for the brand. So there was no um, like word doc or anything like this. So I uh, hand copied every single bio, uh, you know, typed them up from the, from the licensor kit. And so I basically had that and I had the one line and the new adventures did have bios on the back of their package. So I would use that. From that sort of skeleton structure, I drafted up a document that the pure purpose was to create a continuity that would justify the greatest number of figures. So for example, we knew we wanted to do hero and King Grayskull. Well, from a brand standpoint, they kind of contradicted each other because they were both sort of supposed to be the ancestor of He-Man that gave him the sword. 2000X had established King Skull. the vintage line at Hero, although he never appeared for more than one panel and in a uh, Mattel catalog. So this document I created, basically I came up with proposed solutions to allow those type of characters to coexist. So in the case of Skull and Hero, my proposal was to have Grayskull be the blood ancestor and Hero be the one who brought the sword. So it was basically, it was about five or six, seven things like that, where if we tweaked like you know, an aspect here or there, it would allow more characters to exist. From there, it was basically then just the 2000X series, which was a retelling of Filmation as is, since we didn't have access to Filmation, but we had 2000X. So... I worked with legal to find out everything we did have access to, which included some of the uh, image and MVP uh, Mike or what was the the comics that uh, Val Staples did. And M- oh I'm butchering the name of the MVP I think. Um, like the origins of Trapjaw.
0: Oh yeah, I remember those. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So basically, anything we had access to, which actually included some of the DC comics too from the '80s. This was before there were new DC comics and the mini comics too that came with the figures. So, it was essentially looking at everything we had access to and doing everything I could to sort of reference everything and try. I wasn't trying to create a storyline that would be the definitive He Man story. I always thought 2000X or Filmation is that. What I was trying to do was just create a story that would justify the greatest number of toys because our goal was to sell toys. So, if we wanted the Green Goddess to be a legitimate character and not just a weird Tila variant, or Vikor, who was the He-Man prototype art turned into a toy, I didn't want to just sell that as prototype He-Man, like you know, Macquarie Han Solo or something. And the reason is is because I wanted Vikor to be a legitimate, marketable character. And lo and behold, he's appeared in Revelations now Mm -hmm. as a marketable character. And that was the whole point. Uh, you know, not just as concept He-Man. So that was basically really the goal was just to, you know, have a story that wasn't too complicated would involve the greatest number of characters. And it just sort of, you know, that was it. And so I wrote all these bios over the course of about three months around the time Stratos came out was when I did it. Cause that's when we knew the line was a hit so, cause he sold out in minutes. And yeah, I mean, a few of them were adjusted as we went. And obviously when we got filmation rights we had to write bios for a few of those characters cause I didn't do bios for them. Actually, uh, Mary Rickford, wrote those. So those are the only bios I didn't write. She really want. she was the copywriter at the time and she really wanted it. I was like, please, absolutely. Are you kidding? This is, I'm like, I've written too many of these. Uh, so yeah, that's, so basically, you know, it, and I had the notes from 2000 X from what was going to happen in season three and four, which involved things like man at arms turning into a snake man and the masters going underground and becoming the renegade masters in the caves of Sundaria and all this stuff. So notes for what was going to happen if 2000x hadn't been canceled because I really did think of classics as sort of the continuation of the 2000x storyline so yeah,
0: that's my I, story
1: and I'm sticking to it
0: I, I, that's a good story I thoroughly enjoyed the 2000x um, series I have the entire thing on DVD and I mean I've, I've rewatched it and I'm, I'm still upset that we didn't get to see more Hordak come in and like I i watched your videos on what was supposed to happen and yeah there's some there's definitely some interesting stuff that happened on there so with all that said what do you what did you think of revelation
1: um i thought both revelation and i guess he man and the masters of the universe the cgi show
0: mm-hmm.
1: um are cool reinterpretations of the brand um the brand has to be reinterpreted uh you know if you look at two thousand x try to just Re, you know, reboot the brand. We tell it with the same kind of storyline, and it flopped. Not with collectors, but with kids. Right. Um, you know, and a lot of kids had a hard time with the fact that, you know, He-Man was naked, was running around in a loincloth. Um, that was an issue where it wasn't an issue in the eighties because you, know, you look back in the eighties and we had all those muscle men, you know, in mm-hmm. movies and stuff, Rocky and Schwarzenegger and all that, or Stallone, if you will. Um, so the brand had to be reinvented if it was going. And it, you know, the the only way it's going to move forward is if kids get into it because there's not enough collectors in the world to even keep brands at retail. There's just not enough of us. Uh, And so uh, I like both the shows. I know revelation has gotten a lot of slack and to me, it's entirely because of the marketing campaign. It was very poorly marketed that, they told fans it was going to be a sequel, even though legally it can't be, um, you know, that it was going to be a He-Man show, yet He-Man, you know, spoiler alert, di- you know, dies and Teela takes over. So if you take that marketing uh, campaign out and just look at it as a story, it's a cool kind of what if He-Man story, yeah. right? I mean, you know, I'm a, I am love what Marvel does, right? With what if, that was fun. Um So I really look at it like that. Like, it's like, oh, cool. It's a Tila show. Like, there's no reason there can't be a web store show or a buzz off show or, you know, the whole thing from, you know, Queen Marlena's point of view. So in that sense, it was neat. Um, But I'm really excited to see what kids think. And I'm really hoping kids like the new CGI show because I think it definitely hits on the elements kids need to see aspirational characters instant transformation everyone's got an icon and a logo and a and a power weapon and you know all that kind of stuff so my biggest hope is that kids get into the brand and that the brand has a very long life and keeps going
0: now here's the thing i i find it i understand why but i find it interesting that this show had to be forced to have toys when like I don't even believe did, did the Shira, mo- did the Shira show have toys? It did, but they pretty much went right to the clearance aisle. Okay.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, and then, well, they were sold in the girls aisle, which is the correct place to sell them as opposed to like something like forces of destiny that sold girls toys in the boys aisle. Um, but yeah, they, they, they absolutely bombed. They were on clearance within weeks. Um,
0: well, that know, show ended up lasting. So I'm hoping the same thing could at least happen if, if, if if they can get at least the two waves of toys out, I'm hoping the show can at least last past like a second season, because I thoroughly enjoyed it. You
1: talking about Revelation?
0: No, the the uh, the CGI the sex, show. The the He-Man and the the CGI one.
1: Yeah, I I mean I think it's got good legs. I mean they did a great job making a very kid boy friendly show, and I mean not that it shouldn't be for girls, but you know it's like people like don't want to. I don't want to say admit, but like address the fact that boys and girls have very different play patterns. Their Mm -hmm. brains biologically function different. And there's been this weird trend in the past few years to make everything work for everyone. And it's just, that's not the way boys and girls brains function. I mean, I'm married to a child play therapist. Um, you know, so we talk about this stuff all the time. Um, so you know, He-Man is a boy's property. Yes, girls can be into it. Barbie is a girl's property. Yes, boys can be into it. But you know, yeah,
0: exactly. I I I wholeheartedly agree. Market it to who it's marketed for. Create characters that other people that of people outside of that demographic can also latch onto. But market it to who it's marketed for, like you like, like you're saying, and yeah. and that's that's a strength that I think that show actually has that in my personal opinion, that it's like, yes, this is a boy's show, but look, we've got lots of strong females in it that other, that, that girls that can really like this show and jump in and enjoy it with their brothers, their cousins, or just for themselves. And I I really appreciated the way they did that. I, I also agree wholeheartedly with the revelation because if they had just marketed it as just next gen He-Man, we're just moving like, this is He-Man for now for you for adults somewhat the way they did with the gi joe resolute web series they never said this is a continuation they just played it and you got the feeling of this is an exact sequel but the spirit and everything about it is there like these bones I feel all of this from my childhood. And yet this is for me now. Yeah, And that's what I, I felt about revelation.
1: I wish I knew what was going on in their heads when they decided to market it that way. I mean, it's like shooting yourself in the foot. I mean, I I don't know what they were thinking, but that's, you know, like I said, at the beginning, there's very few people in the toy industry that are actively fans of your know, collectors um, and that really does make a difference when you have someone who really knows the property. Not that I'm putting myself on a high horse, but you know, you you need that, and uh, you need. I always I say I tell people the biggest you know if you're complaining about the toy industry, then join the toy industry. The best way to fix it is to have more people like us work there.
0: Yeah, yeah. You can you see you see the you can see the result when fans are involved in doing something with something that they love um i i i say that with some of these really good fan films i say that with some of the tv series and things that are coming out nowadays um that are adaptations of other things and it's like when someone who's truly a fan is involved they're going to make sure that they're you can do it as close to it and with as much love as possible but by telling your own versions of those stories
1: You know, and Kevin Smith is on record saying he's not a He Man fan and doesn't like He Man, so yeah, that didn't help either.
0: Yeah, so yeah, no. But if if because I read your because I watched your video because you did a live act because you did a little pass at a live action script, I have one of my one of my uh, co -co co-hosts wanted to know what would would you think if because it keeps getting stalled out. Do you think a live-action He-Man would be better done in movie form or in TV form?
1: Um, the, so the problem with the movie, and I, I made a video about this too, like why the movie can't happen. Um, it's got like a picture of He-Man and Skeletor doing the Titanic thing on the front. <laughs> um, or this is the thumbnail. The problem is, unlike something like G.I. Joe or Ghostbusters, those are pretty cheap to make. I mean, yeah, you've got special effects, but they take place in the real world. Masters of the Universe is much more like Avatar, Lord of the Rings. Yep. You have to not only create the characters but an entire world. So you're already looking at like a you know at minimum a 250 million dollar movie. Um, I mean, there's no way you could you know make it and make it look good for less than that. I mean, that's why the 87 movie took place on Earth. They didn't have any money. So like, oh, He-Man goes to Earth and hangs out in, you know, Courtney Cox's garage. <laughs> um, it was all a money-saving technique. So they can't do that again. I mean, I guess it could. Uh, so in addition to a $250 million budget, He-Man is, for the most part, a dead property to mainstream America. I mean, we love it, breathe it. But you ask the average person on the street, maybe they could name He-Man, maybe Battle Cat, maybe Castle Grayskull um you know show a picture of buzz off and it's gonna be like who so you've got to do a major marketing campaign to re-educate the public about it so we're basically talking another 250 million dollars which means we're now at half a billion dollars to make this movie and to put up that much money for a first film like not a sequel um i mean even you know movies that did really well like like black panther or um Guardians of the Galaxy One, you know, that exceeded financial expectations, but they were still, they had relatively cheap budgets, but their sequels got huge budgets. You know, the first film never gets the big budget, but once the film, you know, does as well as like those two movies did, then suddenly it's like, oh, okay, well, we're going to really fund it now. Uh, I mean, even A New Hope versus Empire, you know, A New mm-hmm. Hope was on a shoestring budget. Um, So that's the, that's the obstacle. Yeah, and that's exactly why it's lingered in development hell for 20 years because it's just so it's so hard to make this movie uh, you know you'll know, get that kind of budget so i think that cartoons on tv are going to be our best bet for getting content i would love to see a live action movie obviously i you know i loved so so much i wrote one and i wrote it thinking this could be a relatively low budget like you know there wasn't that much mm-hmm. that had to be done um you know i kept the characters to a minimum if you will. There was no like, you know, uh, Battle of Pelennor Fields or anything like that with, you know, thousands of people. So, it'd be great to see it happen. Um, I think that if the new CGI show just takes off, does what Filmation did, and He-Man becomes huge, they'll have to make it. Yeah. But that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a mob of today's, they're not going to make it for you and I. Like, they have to make it for kids. Um, and if, if if kids get reignited because the brand was a, sold better than hot wheels and barbie in 85 it was a billion dollar brand that just crashed so it has to be there again so maybe maybe this show will do it that would be cool
0: that that's what i'm hoping that that's definitely what i'm hoping um you 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 are currently uh, doing a lot of videos just about major about toy collecting and stuff like that. So I mean, a lot of people out here, if if you're not into collecting, there is quite a resurgence on certain things like the Transformers collections, those are doing really well. Um, I, I need to get into that at some point. But those are like you said, those aren't for kids, those are for adults, because all of those Transformers are ridiculously complicated to, to transform. So, um, do you ever think, do you think there is anything like, do you think there is a brand or any IP out there or any chance that the toy industry is going to bounce back the way it was not, I shouldn't say bounce back, but have a run the way, like a lot of the eighties toys did because like the eighties to the late nineties was just kind of ridiculous. Everything was just a toy. And now it's just, not the same. Everything's digital,
1: and you know, yeah, I mean, things. <clears throat> our society has changed a lot, uh, you know, since the 80s. You know, and not always in a good way. Um, you know, looking at kids, you know, being addicted to screens and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I think the the breakdown in the family unit since the 80s has really tremendously hurt kids. Uh, you know, not that I'm saying like women should stay home and be homemakers. Could just as well be the dad, but w- having both parents have to work, um, and basically kids being raised by nannies, um, hurts kids. I mean, it hurts their development, and that really started in in the eighties. Um, you know, the push to have a dual income to own more stuff, and you know, with the with the uh, you know how much the eighties was all about uh, commercialization. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, kids have now turned to screens and parents are so busy, both of them working, that that if the kid can just watch a screen and be quiet for 20 minutes, that's considered a victory instead of sitting down and playing with them. Um. So, yeah, I mean, a lot has you know, things, things are very different than they were when we grew up and we had all this content. And especially there was that eight year window in starting from 81 to 89 when Reagan was able to. Work uh, basically deregulate the FCC, and it allowed companies to make for the first time cartoon shows that were essentially commercials for product. Before that, you couldn't do that. And then, as soon as Reagan left office, uh, they reversed the decision. Uh, Congress over, you know, went back and changed it. So that's why we had that like golden age between eighty one and eighty nine, when you had Silverhawks and He Man and Thundercats and Ninja Turtles and everything. You can't do that. Anymore. Well, I guess now you could because you've got Netflix, so there is no FCC. Um, that's actually,
0: you know. And yet, and yet, and yet, and, and yet, because this, this is the this is the thing that because this is the thing that irks me. One of my favorite, my other favorites, you know, toys and cartoons from the '80s was Thundercats, and it had a resurgence recently and had an amazing show, and the toys were actually pretty cool too but they didn't sell enough and therefore the, because they didn't sell enough the show got canceled so it's like we're we're not doing it but we're still doing it
1: and you know I've said this a lot on my channel that for a line to be successful it has to get kids uh you know collectors alone are not enough to support a brand at retail and um yeah, I mean that's that's why Thundercats wasn't able to do it, is because kids weren't getting into it.
0: And you know And that and that was because of the that was because of Cartoon Network shuffling their schedule for like um like almost a year and a half straight. They were shuffling it every like two two weeks or so. So no one knew where to find the stuff that they were trying to watch.
1: And now it's the reverse where everything is on streaming. So kids binge and then they move on to the next thing and they don't spend any communal time getting into a property they just move on to the next one so there's no chance to develop a fandom
0: see that's 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 and and that's the little and that's that to me because that means that certain properties don't get a chance because of their timing and everything else and and i mean i i like again I'm a fan. I've been watching your video. So I know there's so many different incidentals involved in selling these toys. And therefore, like all of this has to gel in order for, in my situation, you know, certain shows to survive or, or whatever. But then there are the situations where there are, you know, just the collector toys like McFarland toys has been going steady, steady for decades now at this point. Like how, how does, How does certain companies, how do certain companies have that ability to reach out to other companies and just basically say, Hey, I just want to borrow your thing real quick so I can make a couple of toys. And I mean, obviously there's deals involved, but is is it literally just like, you're going to get a cut and you know, we do good, we, you know, we do good work. So, or, you know, people buy our stuff, so they just do it um so, like you're talking about like McFarlane getting the McFarlane toys funko pops like hot wheels you know like companies that can like pull in other franchises like hot wheels literally has cars made for spider-man superman batman ninja turtles street fighter none of these companies are owned by all of this you know what i mean so and Funko Pop can do the same thing and, and so on and so forth. And now, I mean, I know McFarlane is a little situate. It's a different because right now they like, they have a deal with DC, which is why they're allowed to make certain things. But how does that happen? Like, how does, how do other companies are allowed to make like other people's stuff basically? Sure. Sure. No, I can absolutely explain that.
1: Um, so what that is, is it's basically called a licensing deal. Um there is a video on my channel where I uh, where I, it's called I Talk to a Toy Lawyer. Um, and a friend of mine who, who does toy licensing it basically goes through and explains the whole process. But to summarize, you're a toy company X and you want to make, uh, call it Spider-Man toys. So what you have to do is you have to pitch to Marvel, well, Disney, but their Marvel division, and, and basically put together a business proposal and say, okay, Marvel, we want to make Spider-Man toys um, you know, in this called form factor, Funko Pop, Pez dispenser, six inch. The first thing you have to look at is okay, well, is that form factor already taken? So it's like I can't just walk in and say, I want to make six inch Spider-Man toys and be like, well, Hasbro already has the license to that. So we're not, you know, we're not open to hearing that kind of pitch. And that's why you see so many different form factors. But I, I call to I call this the age of the form factor as far okay. as toy collecting. Because, you know, you can get Greedo in a thousand different ways from a Pez dispenser to a a plush, you know, Dorbs, everything. So everyone's constantly like um, a a good example is um, I worked at Jada on their uh, Nano line, the metals line. The reason we were able to get Marvel is because that was a license for non-articulated die cast one inch figures. So it didn't interrupt on Hasbro's license to do articulated figures, three inches or above or whatever it is. Right. Um, Or or the same thing with pinmates, a line I worked on at entertainment earth. Also we had Marvel because those were non-articulated wooden figures. So people are constantly trying to come up with sort of their own form factor that doesn't interfere in an already licensed category. Okay. So they're called licensed category. So so let's say you have a new form factor, or let's say a master license is is up for renewal. Um, that happened with Disney Princess a few years ago, and multiple companies, or or with DC, you know, when DC pulled the license from Mattel, when they didn't renew with Mattel, they opened it up to sort of think of it as like auditions, and any toy company that was interested in getting a license for DC could make a proposal, and DC would look it over and look over the fi- you know, the financial terms. And they would decide which company they want to partner with. And, you know, those terms usually involve royalty per figure, um, you know, whatever, anywhere between 1% and 30%, um, you know, depending on the property. And, uh, you know, and, and, and usually there's also an upfront fee, um, mm-hmm. which is called a minimum guarantee that might be anywhere from fifty dollars to $500,000, Um and then you would pay royalties ab- above and beyond the minimum. So that's basically how toy companies do it. You put together a business proposal of how you want to make the toys, your path to market, where you want to sell them, you know how you you know you're going to make them, what size, what scale, what characters. And if the IP owner, Marvel, Disney, Warner Brothers, Sony, likes your proposal and feels that it's a good partnership, then bam! Now you have a license to make Spider-Man toys or Ghostbuster toys.
0: Now I have a question do you have like a personal question do you have a specific ip or uh product that you would love to see make a resurgence right now like in the way that masters is um i mean as you said with, with masters even though it's it's a it's still even though it's kind of dead it still has that collectability that you know people are still making like the little it it, it it's it may it may not be figures everywhere, but there's you can still find like Pez dispensers and the Dorbs and things like that because it's still an IP that older pe- that that people still recognize. Is there something like you know something else that you would love to see have that kind of accessibility?
1: You know, it's funny because I actually keep a list. Um, I've kept a list in my in sort of my professional journal book. And over the years, I keep crossing them off because I'm like, I want Firefly toys. Oh, somebody did Firefly toys. I want Princess Bride. Oh, somebody did that. Um, And surprisingly, at this point, there's not that much I feel like hasn't been done. I mean, I have a few cult movies like Hudson Hawk that I love. Wow. Um, Yeah, I get that reaction. Um, You know, I'd love to have a Hudson Hawk action figure. I don't think that's ever going to happen, but it'd be cool. Um, You've seen Hudson Hawk?
0: Yeah, I have, but I was gonna say, I don't, don't, don't say, don't, don't count yourself out yet, because again, McFarlane Toys. Hey, if they're you making a... The most obscure stuff sometimes.
1: Oh, like when they would, when they had the the like the, the the movie cult classics or you know years ago, where they were doing RoboCop and all sorts yeah. of stuff. Like, that was yeah. That I mean, it could happen. Who knows? Um, you know, I'd love, I'd love to see more stuff. You know, from like. Edgar Rice bros, um, you know, Tarzan and and John Carter and um, Pellucidar the land in the middle of the earth. Um, You know, he's got a huge, great catalog of characters, a lot of literary characters, um, you know, I'd love to get figures of. But yeah, it's like, you know, looking around, like we may be in the age of the form factor, but we also like we have super articulated versions of like so much, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, asking me like if there's a, a dream project, I mean it really getting to work on He-Man was the dream project. Um uh, I'd love, I mean I'm, Savage Dragon is my favorite comic book. I would love to have, you know, Overlord and Powerhouse and uh, Mighty Man.
0: I think now it would be a perfect time for someone to dive Back into savage dragon and get that ip up up and rolling in in like media and especially after the way invincible just hit and and everything else i think i think the and and the way harley quinn is going like i think we could put some just fun but adult stuff out there with that character and it would just blow up rather large i think that's a good one that's a really good
1: one. Yeah, I, I don't get why that comic book isn't more popular. I mean, <laughs> it is so good. Yeah, it is. It, it, it It's written the way comic books used to be. And the continuity is ridiculously tight. Eric uh, Larson
0: did his thing with that. He really did.
1: Yeah. He, he so. had a flash forward in issue 29 that happened in issue 165
0: with the way McFarlane comics is going with DC, do you think there's a possibility that we could possibly get some like DC He-Man like from them or something like that? Because that, that's just something I would I really want to see in some way, shape or form. Because I every time they gave him a new costume, I was like, that's actually really cool looking. That, that would make a brilliant figure. And I said oh. that like at least three or four times with three different characters.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I... Uh, I, I completely concur. I mean, yeah, there were some brilliant designs and armors and looks for characters in in the DC run. Um, you know, one, it's possible that with Mattel with their Masterverse line, um, might do something like that. Uh, you know, since they're you know they're looking at doing different looks. Um, you know, I, I think some people were hoping Masterverse meant Classics was coming back, but I think it's more like how we saw the Viking He-Man um, and the, or the uh, what was that? I forgot the other Skeletor they showed at PowerCon but I think we're really going to see like different sort of like Elseworlds looks of the main characters and mining the DC comic book designs fit, feels like it would fit really well there. Yeah. As far as McFarlane getting the license um, as I said, you know, in 2023 unless I'm wrong, Universal, oh, yeah. Universal. owns the brand. It sounds like from the PowerCon announcement that they've already worked out a deal with Universal to let Mattel keep making figures. But, you know, that basically in 2023, you know, technically any company should be able, you know, to bid to do the toys. It becomes, you know, a company IP, not a toy company IP. So those would be great designs. I absolutely think they'd make great toys. Um, So I'm sure if classics continue, we totally would have gone there because we definitely had to find ways to get the main characters out again because they sell the best. And by the end, we were really scraping the bottom of the barrel. And if we could have infused classics with sort of a juice of new, exciting looks for the main 10 characters, you know, that would have been really good for the brand.
0: I'd even take, I'd even just take, you know, some, uh, some of the crossover like just versions based on like Freddie Williams, second, uh, third uh, art, you know, that, those would have been great too. Cause those, those crossover Issues were fantastic. The injustice and uh, the Thundercats. I was just like, he's just built for doing these kind of things. And I would, and I said the same thing when I was when they he did uh, he did Ninja Turtles and Batman, and then Ninja Turtles and Ghost. I'm like, I want figures of all of these. That, that's that's actually every time I read one of those books, I was like, I need figure. Who do I go to to get figures of this? Because this this is like my childhood again, again resurfacing in all sorts of media, and all I want to do is play with it.
1: And, you know, the best way to do that, um, I actually have a video on the Spectra Creative YouTube channel about getting your wish wish lists to companies. And I really talk about the best way to do that with a handwritten letter or a tan tight letter that's you know not too long that points out like three characters you want, why you want them. There's nothing like a physical piece of mail to try to convince someone because a, an email can be deleted. But when you have a letter on your desk, you'll read it and you'll pass it to the designer and it'll wind up influencing them. So. You know, I always tell people that is the way to do it.
0: I hope I hope our listeners take note because I, I plan on doing this now because I, I have a whole bunch of figures I want now. And I hope I don't I hope you didn't get me in trouble, Scott, because I'm no, about to no, just, a bunch know, of people's <laughs> also,
1: write as many letters as you want, but just keep each one short and to the point and request three to five figures and get out. Check out the video. I mean, I really spell out the best way to do it.
0: Oh, and I you, plan you know, on it. it
1: yeah. If you, if you sort of, uh, violate or, or, or go, um, you know, go away from the, the way I lay it out, like you're going to get ignored, but if you do it that way, they will read your letter. So.
0: Well, that that's awesome. That it's actually a great note to, to end on. I'm glad, I'm glad I got this chance to talk to you because there's a bunch of questions and just things that I wanted to say, say, like the fact that, uh, you brought up sun man and you didn't an know, you didn't just bring him up. You did a whole video on him. That was a major part of my childhood. Um, I mean, I didn't, I had a huge, I had basically like a four foot long, maybe like a three foot long bench that I didn't have a lot, a lot of toys as a kid, but my parents knew I really liked masters in the universe and that thing was filled. I had Castle Grey Skull. I had Snake Mountain, and I had the Horde base. I had pretty much almost all of the vehicles, and then I had almost all of the vi- all of the characters. My next door neighbor in the next apartment had pretty much the same thing. And we would set up these huge huge battles with like like wire from the ceiling and hanging them and what we were hanging straddles and buzz off from things so they could fly and and web store was hanging down from st- i mean we and we bring our parents in and show them these huge mock battles and they you know come in nod that's nice and walk out and you know hours worth of work you know blood sweat and tears and epic battles and it, it's just <laughs> it's just it's great to see that it it hasn't all gone to waste that there. I wasn't the only person that had that much passion for it. And to see someone put that much passion back into it, the way you have is like, that's, I think that's why I've fallen in love with a lot of those videos is it's like, you're, you literally filled in the blanks of my childhood. And it's the the adult child me is like, great. I'm not the only one that was doing this. This is great.
1: That's I mean, what it's great just to hear. I mean, everything was just, I mean, cause kids need that again, they need to be able to play. And that's yeah. so important. And yeah, that's, you know, that was a big reason I started the channels. Cause I felt like there, there weren't really any YouTube channels giving the straight information and so many giving out sort of bad information that was, you know, incorrect, but they were, you know, making assumptions and, um, one of the things I always say in the comment section is I'm so always open for topics. If there's something someone wants me to see if I can talk about, like, please let me know. Because, you know, I love working with the the, the subscribers and, and the viewers. You know, I'll say, hey, you know, this this particular co- viewer left a comment. He wants a video about this. So here we go. Let's talk about it. And we are living in a golden age of getting, I mean, Sentinels and Razor Crests and Origins and Transformers and I love it every day i feel blessed i feel so grateful to have you know people like you to chat with and people who watch the uh the youtube channel and uh yeah keep watching we'll keep cranking out the videos and i will definitely uh look forward to making some more announcements soon
0: all right well we look forward to it um my list our listeners out there if if you haven't gotten a chance to go because like i said i know it was a little late with letting people know that we were doing this um but if you haven't had a chance to go, go listen, uh, go watch some of the videos over at Spective to Creative. I did drop the um, YouTube channel link on the Facebook pages, so go check that out. Um, I'm trying. I'm telling you, you're gonna fall down the rabbit hole if you have any love of any of any about toys at all. You're gonna fall down this rabbit hole. Um, and Scott, thank you for coming. And um, as soon as we can come up with something else, I'd love to have you on again.
1: That is awesome. I. yeah, please stay in touch and
0: uh, we'll keep collecting. Yeah. Thank you so much, Scott.